Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify. Dear fans from uh, Grow e-commerce show, welcome to another session. And today we have here a famous Claire Muscat. She's also a UK top female influencer and in a global and in a global chart. Uh, a female among 150 customer experience experts. Uh, and today she joined us also uh, to share uh, her wide experience uh, that she uh, delivered uh, during her career uh, among uh, biggest companies uh, in the uh, uh, world. And also, she's also an author uh, of a book that will be released quite soon, as I understand. It was postponed due to uh, coronavirus, that's right. You can okay. see um, the title, <laughs> how, to become, uh, how to Be Awesome at Customer Experience, right? <laughs> and as I also remember, you're also uh, owner of very famous quote that also Jeff Bezos quoted right which is brilliant customer experiences don't happen by accident they happen by design did jeff bezos quote me what <laughs> oh, i, I didn't know that. such specialties you know so uh when you heard when you will hear this uh quote this is actually from you right so uh welcome uh to our show and thank you for participate and deliver your experience especially in this digital transformation time Okay. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Welcome to this keynote presentation for the CX Institute. I'm absolutely delighted to be here as a guest speaker to share my perspective on putting people at the heart of your digital transformation. Before we begin, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm the founder and director of a boutique customer experience design agency based here in London called CM Experience. And we provide a range of customer and employee experience based services to clients all around the world. But before becoming a consultant and keynote speaker, I spent 12 years in CX leadership roles in FTSE 100 organizations actually doing the job myself, including five years at Sainsbury's heading up CX design and customer experience. But like many small businesses during the current climate, it's required me to pivot. So since lockdown, I became the host of the Inspiring Women in CX podcast, which was just an awesome experience. And I'm also creating a membership community for women around the world. And I'm also now working on online customer experience design training content under the banner of how to be awesome at CX. So please do check that out later. In terms of the context for this presentation, um, let's begin here. And that is that transformations all around us these days, whether it's digital, cultural, operational, or my own field customer experience, the answer to absolutely everything seems to be a radical overhaul. It sounds bold, aspirational, and even sexy, but is it really the right approach? And do these projects ever really deliver the goods? Now, I'm sure you're probably sat there thinking, oh, I can think of an example, and it's probably gonna be something like Apple. And absolutely, Apple's remarkable metamorphosis under Steve Jobs is one clear success story, but it captured people's imaginations because such transformations are exceedingly rare, not because they're easily achievable. 
In truth, large-scale, episodic changes rarely ever work due to the cost, complexity, leadership and timescales involved in making it happen. Entropy always wins. So by the time companies have transformed, their customers have already moved the goalpost and no longer want what you thought they wanted. So the longer we take to deliver, the more risk we expose ourselves to and the larger changes that we propose, the greater resistance we face. And especially when it comes to employees that are gonna be affected by these changes. So I've been thinking there must be a better way, but what is the alternative and how do we move at pace to create greater value for our customers, our employees and the business? And I personally believe that the answer lies in experience design, which is great news for people with CX capability because it means we've got all the tools at our disposal to help businesses avoid the pitfalls of transformation by adopting an approach that enables a rapid response to customer and employee problems that in turn yields business results through understanding the problems, discovering how best to solve them, co-designing ideas with the people who'll be affected, developing solutions with this kind of agility is gonna mean something very important and that's that we test and learn as we go. So we'll ultimately deliver better products, better services and better experiences that deliver the right changes at the right time. So I propose a logical yet a quite radical five-fold approach to putting people at the heart of change. One that I believe constitutes a pragmatic, efficient and effective alternative to improving customer experience. And in summary, that means that I favour problems over solution, empowerments over procedure, values over goals, collaboration over control and lean over large. And over about the next 25 minutes or so, I'm going to take you through each one of these and give you some really practical takeaways that you can start to think about back in your organisation. So up first, we've got problems over solutions. And I think co companies who take a solutions-led approach remind me of someone that's just found a shiny new spanner. And this so often happens with digital and online. They start walking around the car, looking for nuts and bolts to tighten with it, not knowing if they're the right ones to prioritize, or even if the ones that they tighten are gonna make a difference, or actually that the, the, there's a much bigger problem to be resolved. And most often the solutions are targeted at business efficiencies, which whilst tangible, there actually might be a better way to also benefit customers and employees too. So not just a cost saving. So in terms of my ideas for how you can um, think about this differently is that customers, so companies that put people at the heart of change are focused on understanding and solving problems for their customers and employees. This often means having an approach uh, where interconnecting solutions are found that ladder up to significantly higher incremental value for customers, employees on the business. So for example, using journey mapping at the beginning of a discovery to understand what are the pain points, what are the root causes, and what are the opportunities can give you a much clearer picture um, than just thinking about what technology solution you want to adopt. But in order to do that, you also need a culture that puts empowerment over procedure. And to create the optimum experience, we all know that we've got to respond to customers with the right action at the right time. But employees are so often stifled by procedure. And to demonstrate this, if you rewind any customer complaint that rapidly escalated, the ones that went nuclear and you know, created really awful PR for your business, if you take it back to the decisive moment, you'll find some poor soul like our, our lady here working at the contact centre that could have averted the crisis but, but couldn't because they had such rigid procedures to follow. 
And the same is absolutely true of innovation. It's likely that your employees already have a really, a really good handle on the real customer problems to solve, not the ones that the business perceives. But whilst managers are looking for answers in data and metrics, this really valuable source of ideas goes untapped. You're probably thinking, oh, I've got an employee listening program, which is great. But listening to employees is one thing, but empowering employees to actually do something about it is another much more powerful lever to pull. The fly in the ointment is that the decision-making power tends to reside in a very small group of individuals at the apex of the organisation. I'm thinking, you know, boards of directors or leadership teams. And therefore, decentralisation could be a key to unlocking the latent ability within the business. And I've seen this done on a huge scale with great success in massive corporations, leading to rapid improvements and much happier employees. This approach has a number of distinct advantages, but one really important one is the ability to soothe any resistance to change. Because, of course, people that are involved in understanding the problems and coming up with the solutions are going to be much more keen on implementing them. But the starting point is always trusting employees, and that is easier said than done. So here's some ways that you can begin to trigger empowerment over procedure. First one is empowering teams with the right skills and tools. So, you know, so if you remember the diagram at the beginning about discovery, for teams to run effective discovery sessions that isolate and quantify problems, they're going to need the right toolkit and they're going to need training on how to use it. And these great toolkits contain frameworks that support people to rapidly generate ideas and very importantly, establish the costs and benefits. Now, one of the pitfalls to effectiveness in these sessions is not actually having time to conduct them or the space to do that. So ring fencing resources is absolutely key if you're serious about it. You're also going to need to build an opportunity funnel because there's going to be a massive variation in the cost and complexity of ideas that come out of those discovery sessions. So being able to capture the big ideas and funnel them into broader investment planning processes is going to be important. But the the most important thing here is the ideas that are low or no cost should be given automatic permission, I can't get my words right today, permission to be tested out immediately. The main barrier to implementation is quite often governance or the steering groups that you have to pass papers up and down to. So eliminating as much as possible of this is the only way to ensure continuous action and improvement actually happens. And finally on this one, it's about creating a positive error culture. Now, I didn't make this up. I've taken this from someone else's words, but businesses that are afraid to fail, fail to succeed. So it's essential to create an environment where failure is actually seen as a sign of progress. And prepare yourselves. Many of the ideas will fail, but the reasons for failure provide amazing learning that lead to much, much better ideas in the long term. So where action is celebrated and progress is prized, innovation will become the norm. But for better calibration and empowerment, you could create a set of design principles to follow as opposed to goals to achieve. Now, an approach that gives employees goals or targets leads to behaviour, and you've probably seen this for yourself, leads to behaviour that it limits innovation. It notably manifests itself in employees who, I'm going to use my air quotes, chase the measure and take shortcuts to hit the numbers. So arbitrary metrics are delivered in the short term, but creating real value and sustainable improvement only comes from really understanding customer problems. 
So if you take, for example, the multi-billion dollar retailer that I uh, mentioned that I work for, uh, I saw them implement a mystery shopping program where the goal was actually about increasing store scores. And the whole project's appeared dedicated to passing the measure. So how do you pass this mystery shopper? Um, and it did improve the numbers, the score store scores did go up but it did not improve the customer experience so by contrast uh, when people are given a set of values or guiding principles to aid their decision making the job of improving customer experience becomes easier and more fun so you can complement empowerment with supporting frameworks and this also has the, the added benefit of um, elevating the quality of the innovation that comes out of those discovery sessions and, and the team's ideas so here's three things you can do Number one, define what value actually means. Because decisions, uh, when they're devolved from the apex, so when we, we empower employees to come up with ideas and solutions, providing employees with guardrails helps them make far better decisions. So it's common sense just to protect the business whilst empowering staff, but without that crystal clarity, value can be open to interpretation. So to prevent mistakes, you can define what value means by framing how desirable is it for customers, employees in the business? And you can use appropriate metrics or impact statements to aid evaluation. And being clear upfront about the measures of success is also gonna be really beneficial right now because you can weed out any non-viable ideas really early on and build success criteria for proving return on investment of the ideas that you do implement for later on. Next up, you can create a set of design principles. This is one of my favorites because once employees have come up with the what, Providing a set of universal design principles will support them in the how. So design principles can be written as a set of statements for guidance around strategic, operational, brand and values driven imperatives. So, for example, if you call out solutions that are digital by default, that will ensure that it's the first consideration rather than the last, as as, as will calling out helpful to employees, oh gosh, I can't speak today, helpful to employees or friction-free for customers will guide design that actually works in their best interest rather than um, just thinking about process. And also you can articulate the desired behaviors. So as definitions and principles can help to direct ideas, you could also create a blueprint for agile behavior, which will have the same effect. Cultural shifts happen when employees understand how to behave and feel empowered to use these principles to challenge the status quo. So statements should be nice and aspirational to encourage teams to dare to be ambitious, take action before perfection, focus on delivering value early and often, and work in dedicated, empowered, cross-functional teams. Now, empowered teams equipped with principles and frameworks are set up to succeed, but to deliver value, they must also be able to work cross-functionally another thing that's easier said than done. So this leads me on to our next point about collaboration over control. Command and control is the operant mode of big businesses. We can't get away from it. They believe that to maintain rank and order, all of the soldiers must be kept in line. And these high direction, low trust organizations frequently experience power struggles between department owner over ownership of land. You know, when they're arguing about um, who owns what but they lack the accountability when it comes to customer experience silos really do emerge between departments and teams that seep into the customer experience and it's really not a great place to work for employees who feel constrained and micromanaged i've seen it firsthand what it's like to work in an, an environment where people compete for glory when what's really needed is a cross-functional team playing to win for the customer 
So departments with conflicting objectives and priorities invariably results in an overall loss for the business. So changing and challenging that command and control culture isn't easy and it certainly isn't something that's going to happen overnight, but creating collaborative situations and toolkits can help to break down the barriers through facilitating teams from across the organisation to solve problems together. So here's three things that you can do. You can start off by running cross-functional workshops because well-planned, well-facilitated workshops are one of the most powerful ways of enabling teams to collaborate. So you can do this by asking a group of representatives from across the organization, including very importantly, frontline employees to map something like a customer journey. And this can begin to unite those troops to see a perspective far broader than their own, just sitting in their own department. There's a lot of skill needed in planning and facilitation to make these events successful. But if you invest in your people and invest in customer experience design capability, it's gonna become one of the most valuable um, things that you, you have as a capability within your organization. So also you can create a CX design toolkit. Now, customers that are successful at rapid innovation have tools that help employees develop winning propositions. The best toolkits enable employees to think outside in from the customer's perspective, but also inside out from the brand, brand point of view. Tools like personas, user stories, propositional wheels and journey maps can be selected by a facilitator to inform the right activities and ensure well-structured, high-quality, meaningful outputs. And then last but not least, you can use the tools to generate a vision for the future. Because whilst an understanding as is experience is really important, a vision for the target experience will deliver exponential benefits. Knowing what the end state means, means teams are able to um, be clear about what they're working towards. This enables far greater efficiency in projects, planning and roadmaps. And this leads to value being delivered faster. And this final point brings us to the last step on our five-fold approach, which is lean over large. Ultimately, success only comes down to one thing and that's successful implementation. And transformations fail often because the programs become so big and so unwieldy and require so much coordination, they quite often just start to creak and eventually fall apart at the seams. Now, if you can compare this to lean cross-functional teams working on achievable micro projects with clear scopes and narrow remits, these teams are able to act autonomously and with agility. These projects require far less organisation and far less investment to get started and are far cheaper to run and deliver immediate value. Who wouldn't want that? So provided you established a clear vision of the experience you're aiming for in the previous point, these small collaborative efforts and marginal gains will soon ladder up to something transformative for the organisation in terms of not just digital, but operational and customer experience change too. So here's your three things. You can, can provide project management frameworks. Having consistent project management frameworks increases clarity and visibility. So as I said, if you like devolving those decisions from the apex and down into the teams, it enables the apex leaders to still have oversight, but it will stop them from hampering the progress. Great toolkits are going to include things like scoping documents, business cases, success criteria, reporting and updates, and great employee training will increase the confidence and empowerment to use them really effectively. Next is about co-designing with users. So from discovery through design development and delivery, involving users in the process will give a far level 
greater level of certainty that the customer and employee value is actually going to be delivered. Assumptions are the enemy of user-centric design, so any opportunities for user research and testing should always be taken. And finally, it's about revolutionising the ways of working. Um, and moving from those traditional waterfall projects into agile ways of working is going to unlock energy, motivation and increase action. So ideally, dedicated cross-functional team members should step away from the day job and report into product owners with unlimited decision-making authority and then communicate through daily stand-ups where projects and pro um, pro progress on projects is celebrated and those really important lessons, you know, the ones where we learn from mistakes are being shared across the board. So my final thoughts are that it's such a beautiful thing and the holy grail of customer experience becomes attainable using this approach of CX design. You no longer have to sell customer experience to C-suite executives as the results of the projects are gonna speak for themselves. This method focuses on action so the outputs are clear. You're easily gonna generate measurable returns on investment. So one final note, the whole presentation the focus was never on customer experience itself, but on solving problems for customers and creating the right environment for action. Remember that customer experience is only an outcome of everything the business does. Therefore, focusing on it is pointless. With this method, you're able to achieve better outcomes for customers, employees, and the business as a result of isolating problems, finding root causes, and unleashing the power of engaged, empowered employees to proactively respond. So in conclusion, although we've been led to believe that transformation is the solution, it is in fact the problem. Large scale episodic sim changes simply do not work due to the cost, complexity, leadership and time scales required to be effective. So by adopting a lean collaborative approach where teams are empowered to apply a set of values that guide them to success, organizations are capable of moving quickly to respond to customer needs. This not only significantly reduces the risk by minimizing the cost, complexity and time scales, but is also far less reliant on leadership from someone like Steve Jobs being the defining success factor. Ultimately, if you really want to deliver transformational results for your customers, employees and the business, don't attempt to transform your organisation. Empower your employees to collaborate, focus on value and deliver marginal gains with agility instead. And that's it from me. If you'd like to know more, please do head over to www.awesome-cx.com where you can get a version of this presentation as a white paper. So if anything didn't quite go in, don't worry, you've got plenty of time to read it too. Thanks everyone. So thank you, Claire, for extremely valuable and let's say educational, efficient presentation. And here I have actually some questions uh, regarding uh, one uh, article that I have uh, seen today. I also shared with you. Mm -hmm. And it says that digitalization and automation are accelerated more than ever but 75% of consumers still want more human touch. So time as well, a virus is still very, very unpredictive. So how to provide this human touch in the future? It seems that digitalization is even faster today. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I read the report that you're referring to um, and I did question a couple of things that they didn't make particularly clear. And the first of that is, is I'd be asking the question, what specifically do they want to maintain the human touch with? Because when we talk about a lot of automation done well, it's helping customers to fix problems faster than they would if they spoke to somebody. So check out, for example, why would you need to speak to somebody to do that? You know, answering really simple problems, uh, asking questions. If AI or ML, machine learning, can deal with that, I can't see that being a bad thing for customers. What the problem typically seems to be is that companies are trying to use AI as a solution instead of customer service full stop. So if I gave you the example of being on the web chat to... Uh, my broadband provider that they've got that system that every time the web chat window closes the agent disappears and I have to start all over again with a new person so I am actually interacting with a person through technology but the experience is awful yeah, I can <laughs> um, so so um so I think what customers really want is to be able to have complex problems dealt with really quickly by human beings but we're also equally happy to do stuff through automation if there is no complexity to it. So I think the challenge is in the future, how do we ensure we route those customers to humans to deal with complex problems really quickly and that they're resolved first time um, rather than taking an approach of technology replacing customers up that I've heard of recently, like um, Acerin, asynchronous communication don't know if you've heard of that one um but basically it's like whatsapp messaging instead yeah. of web chat so in whatsapp style messaging you could imagine being on a chat with your group of friends or your family that you say something they're not gonna maybe don't reply straight away but you don't have to wait for the reply you just put your phone in your pocket and you carry on with your day and then the message comes up and you carry on the conversation I think um, moving more towards technologies that are designed to meet customers where they need to be met in the channels that they're used to is a far better solution uh, to those kinds of things. So, so yeah, so in summary, I'd say um, I just question when they ask customers that question, <laughs> what, you know, what they want more of a human touch for it wasn't clear why they want it or specifically <laughs> it, okay. it, in what situation. So, so I think, you know, we're not going to stop automation. We're not going to stop technology increasing. We're not going to stop companies from heading in that direction because the cost efficiencies is so clear. We yeah. just as customer experience leaders, need to be able to consider what the customer needs and how best to meet those needs in the most efficient way for the customer using technology where it's appropriate and finding the right blend and balance. Okay. Thank you. Next question. Uh, during your presentation, you are talking about uh, five top actions uh, and um, how to put uh, people in the heart of the business. But uh, from your experience, uh, which is the most problematic uh, part uh, of these fives in organization and why is it so? Okay, so there isn't one of the five. It's basically a barrier to being able to do any of the five. So yeah. if you think about um, businesses that consider s solutions instead of problems, 
if they think about um, you know we want them to be thinking in power over procedure values over goals we want you know in, in this the world I spoke about earlier um collaboration over control and and lean over large the thing that's going to always block being able to do that is the culture of the organization so the more ingrained the old ways are in that business the harder it's going to be to enable any of those things to happen so i'd always say with customer experience with change with transformation um to be able to put people at the heart of anything the culture of the organization needs to be prepared to do that Uh, but it's easier said than done so for example with empowerment over procedure i talked about trust it starts with trusting your employees that in many cases especially in the contact center scenario can be a very big step, you know, when we're, we're giving um, so many rules to follow and procedures that you're, you're hamstrung and you have to make a bad decision for the customer, but the right decision for the business. Companies changing that ethos to enable employees to make their own decisions, the right thing for the customer can often be a huge step change. So, yeah, I think in summary, I'd say so the organizational culture yeah. is the biggest challenge. <laughs> Thank you. So also it's uh, the issue that you give the purpose to the employees uh, job that they are doing, that they are able to take decisions to the right thing to do for the customers and for the business. Yeah, Yeah, so we empower them to do that over giving them procedures and values to stick to rather than goals to hit that becomes possible. Okay. And here is also the last question for today. Uh, what is actually also the common mistake uh, that companies do before or in the middle of transformation? Do they see it too easy or it's kind of just, uh, let's say, going to the stars and everything will happen? So uh, how they, what is their expectation? How they do see this kind of uh, start and then the travel so there's a couple of things so um i'm going to talk about where transformation starts in the first place being one of the problems i'll talk about that first and the second thing i'll talk to you about is if you remember the little loopy diagram i think that's my second or third slide is that they don't design the experience (laughs) or, or, or listen to customers so the first thing, um, as I mentioned, was where the, the desire to transform comes from in the first place. So most companies only resort to that scale of change when there is a massive problem. And usually transformation will be directed at saving money. So cost saving transformation. It might be digital, trying to t- change all their technology to get up to date. <laughs> it might be something about, you know, how do we integrate our data in order to understand our business better? None of those things are related to customers. (laughs) So when businesses are looking for um, the the things that are going to change and and set in the direction, if they're thinking from that perspective, it's going to end up with a negative consequence most often to people. So the second thing being that they don't listen to customers and employees at the start of this. So in my little wavy diagram, it started with discovery and trying to understand the problems to solve for customers and employees. If every organization before they started their transformation initiative just stopped and did that, even if they still had to save money and even if they still had to um, change their technology stack and even if they wanted to integrate the data, they'd have the direction of travel, of um, being able to deliver more value for, for customers and employees. And once you've got that insight and information, 
the second thing I'd always advocate is define the target experience that you want to deliver. So no matter what's going to change within the organization, what do you want to offer as an experience for your customers and your, your employees? And then effectively transformation becomes about designing that experience and delivering that roadmap, which will still achieve all of the financial benefits and data and reorganization stuff that you're working towards, but in a much more informed way, that's not only going to benefit the business, but customers and employees too. And as I said in my presentation, transformation doesn't work because of the cost, the timescales and the leadership required. So I think the, the <laughs> ultimately the problem organizations try to uh, make before or during transformation is trying to do that scale of change in the first place much much better to be able to think in that design process and make smaller changes happen faster in a more responsive way over time okay i completely agree with you thank you for sharing this wisdom You're uh, from your experience it's really really precious and thank you for being with us so uh even if you have any further uh, suggestions for us, you're more than welcome to share it. Okay, thank you <laughs> and goodbye. Bye. Thanks, bye.